Hello, you beautiful people. My guest today is Craig Hardy. He's a songwriter and producer. We met years ago when I first signed to Sony Records and he helped in the creation of my first single, Dance With You. So he holds a special place in my heart and I thought it would be cool to hear a bit about his story and his journey, which brings us to a point where we eventually cross paths. He's got some gems in there and his story holds a lot of determination and spontaneity. It was great fun catching up. Hope you enjoy. The Craig. Yes. Uh, how are you, first and foremost? I'm doing very well. Yeah, he's in the middle of moving. He's in the middle of moving <laughs> at the moment. He's moving his studio to, to, to somewhere else. Somewhere in his uh, studio, which is, uh, it's, it's, it's been neater than this. It's been neater, it's than, been this. neater than this. Yeah, yeah but, but I think it's the signs of, of creativity. You've been extremely creative and I can see all the, all the stuff. We won't give away the secrets, but I can see all the stuff, like yeah. so, so much equipment around the room. But we found a spot where we can have a chat. Yes. Yeah. All right. So uh, I remember uh, you weren't here when you told me the story. You were in another place, another one of your houses. Yeah. Uh, I remember I asked you, how did you get into music in the first place? How did you start working? Uh, to start working? In the music industry? In, in, like, in, in, or, or, no, actually, have you always wanted to do music or was there another path that you wanted to take? No, it was always music. I left, I left school um, early, in fact. To do music, I had by law I had to do my sort of GCSEs and stuff. But um, how old when you left? Um, just about turned sixteen. Sixteen. Yeah, and so I was meant. I had really good sort of GCSE grades and stuff, but everyone was saying you need to come back and do A levels or whatever the equivalent was at the time. But okay. I, I just all I wanted to do was do music, so um, I just started doing that. I joined a, a little crappy boy band at the time and nice. keep got a few keyboards and stuff together. And when my mum and dad saw that I was serious about it, they sort of bought me my first synthesizer, a little Roland thing. Because before that, it was just like a little electric organ. Okay. That my granddad had. That I was trying <laughs> to sort of do music on. So your dad could play? Well, my, my granddad played uh, like electric organ and my dad played uh, guitar. He used to be in a couple of bands in the 60s and stuff. So, um, Do you find that that was, a, that was a thing back in the day, isn't it? Like a lot of people in the 60s and 70s in school... There was in a band or, you know, played guitar yeah. or keys or something. Everyone, everyone did, I think, back then. Um, it was, you know, it was like a big explosion I yeah. suppose, in the 60s. My dad was around, you know, everyone wanted to get a guitar and be in a band and stuff like that. So the music was around a lot. And my mum, my dad was very much into the um, sort of the bands, like the Beatles type things. But my mum has always been into uh, soul music. That was always nice. her thing. So she, Good woman. Motown and soul is her thing. So... I got uh, that side of things from my dad and then my mum was the soul. You've got a good balance there, right, right I've there. I've got a really great balance. Um, and so that was always, always what I wanted to do. And so the second I could get out of uh, school and start doing that, I just knew that I wanted to do it in some capacity. Did you know what in music you wanted to do? Like, uh, as in play an instrument or be the front man or, or what? No, I had no intention of being like a front man. I wouldn't have minded being in a band. That was just for fun. But... Um, songwriting is what I always wanted to do nice. um, and to this day despite all the other things that I've done songwriting is what I would describe myself I wouldn't call myself anything else the other things that I've done along the way have just been because I've had to do them in order to help with the songwriting yeah. like production and stuff like that so yeah so I started doing that and just gradually very slowly network your way and meet different people and uh, leads to things and leads to things and leads to things so you left at 16 yeah uh, I guess your parents weren't too pleased with that. 
they were delighted actually really um, because they could see are you joking or really no no really they okay. were they've always been so supportive they basically said look we know the passion you have for this and we can see that you're good at it or we think you're good at it um and we're quite happy to support you um if you can because i was trying i was volunteering to work in studios just to get experience and find out how records are made i had no idea at the time and those sort of places you could go and maybe help out and you know wash cars and clean the toilets for, yeah. for hopefully 10 minutes sit next to the desk and so you would volunteer and you wouldn't get paid and so i wasn't earning any money so they basically said do what you have to do and we'll support you as long as you need to which was you know fantastic wow forward thinking parent round of applause yeah. for for, <laughs> for um <laughs> for craig's parents there wow yeah. forward thinking and do you remember your your first job when you left when you're 16 as in try a musical job uh yeah it was um a little recording studio not far from where i lived again it was just like a sort of volunteer turn up work experience type where did you grow up i grew up in uh, woolwich oh okay uh, southeast london Oh. Um, and then um, sort of moved to around sort of Bexley Heath and Welling area. So the studios were around there. I learned, to, I started sort of music lessons when I was sort of seven, so I could play um, keys and stuff. Seven? Yeah. Nice. Um, so I was useful in the studios, not just to sort of sit around and make tea. They found out I could actually play a little bit, and so I was sort of dragged. Use this kid. Yeah. Use him. He's good. He's here for nothing. We might as well rinse everything we can yeah. <laughs> out of him. So I used to play little bits and pieces like bass lines and stuff for people that would come in and use the studio that couldn't play. But uh, Brilliant. It was a yeah, good experience. Okay. So that was your first job. How long did you last there at 16? Um, it wasn't too long because the band thing started happening a little bit, and so oh, started, hold on, you were in a band, yeah, the little little did the little boy band thing at the time as well. Nice. Um, so that was fun because obviously, have you shown me a picture of that? I may have shown you. A I, picture think you of have. That I think you have. I yeah. think you have. I think you have. Yeah, yeah. Um, boy bands were the boy bands. There was a period for like rock bands, and then there was, and then it went into like the boy band and girl band phase. Yeah. And that was very interesting. Yeah. So you were in a boy... What was the name of your boy well, band? It, well, first of all, it wasn't a boy band where we all stand up round and dance routines. It was actually... A, we had instruments. I stood behind my keyboard, synthesizer bank. What, what are you trying to say about these other boy bands? What, they, yeah. they, they couldn't play? <laughs> well, generally, I generally call them the, the, the lead singer and then the bookends. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, but was, you could, you guys were playing... We were playing. So we were actually... Okay. We weren't a boy band. We were, we were a band, but we were just... just so young. happened to be yeah. young boys. Okay. Yeah, we wanted to be you know, Duran Duran or something. You are, know. are you trying to avoid the question? What was the name of the band? Oh, no, but, oh, the name of the band was uh, Storm. Storm? Storm. That's not actually so bad. It's not actually so bad. Storm, yeah. that, that's, that's, that's quite, you know, that's, Storm. Storm, it was actually... No, called, no, but when you, you got to say, Storm. Yeah, that was what yeah. we were trying to go for that. Yeah, you can't say Storm. Although at that age, it's probably Storm. It was, it was yeah. very much that. Um, <laughs> that. The band was called that before I joined. I was one of the sort of last people to join. They were... Desperate for a keyboard player. Okay. So uh, I stepped in and um, I was quite shy. So I was happy to be stood behind the keyboards and let... Is it? Do, yeah. You're like me. I was shy. Yeah. You look at... Yeah. I was very <laughs> <shy>. <laughs> so actually, well, after, we, we, we did a tour of girls' schools. Is we, it? We thought that's the way to get popular local. So we would we would go to the um, headmistress of the local girls' school and just say, we'll, we'll come and play in lunchtime and give the proceeds to the school or something, charge 50p on the door. Um, and 50p? So we, Something like that. It's probably about five pounds back then. Yeah. It? So we would play the girls' schools, and then because of that, all the girls in the local area knew you, and you would go to the shopping centre on a weekend, and then you get chased. They would recognise you. There's Storm. Oh my god. <laughs> so of course, I, I made, made sure I was at the shopping centre about four at nine a.m. Just, just trying to get recognised, you know. 
<laughs> did you did you um um did you have a manager? We didn't at first. We we had uh, we did get some very dodgy managers. Although I think every artist who starts off, well, do you know? What? Luckily, I'm not one of them. But a lot of um, artists when they start off, they do have a a dodgy one in there. Yeah, um, we had a. It was just lo- like local businessmen and stuff that just wanted to have a band. Under, to say they've yeah, got one, manage, but yeah. Um, years later, we actually we, we were still going, and we actually did get managed by um, Duran Duran's manager very briefly. Duran Duran, yeah. The manager was uh, looking for some new stuff, and um, I think it was around that time we sort of realised we had no talent. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, you, that's harsh. You had talent. You you could play keys. I had I th- well, I think I had talent, but I was too shy to use it. I didn't want to speak up and say, "Well, I've got some ideas." I see. So. Um, I've seen that in the music industry. Unless you speak up and speak your mind, no matter what's going on, yeah. it it can become a bit of a daunting yeah. place, you know. So yeah. yeah, I understand you. Yeah, but it was it was around that time actually um, that led. Uh, I met somebody that it like years later it led to sort of my not uh, exactly my big break, but it it sort of set the path for the okay, rest so of my life. Okay, so tell me about that. Well, um, there was a a guy that uh, was a DJ at the Hammersmith Palais whose name was uh, Phil France and he had done a Grease Megamix it became a hit in the UK at some point you know 20-30 years back he basically just ran all the Grease songs into one another and that was his thing he sort of bootlegged it and then it got signed um, (laughs) by PWL Pete Waterman's label oh Pete Waterman so this DJ at the Hammersmith Palais was now involved with Pete Waterman, who was like you know, the sort of music mogul in the UK. And just around that time, I'd started working at a studio at Hammersmith and uh, he was there. And I met him and sort of made contact with him and realised where he, what he was doing and stuff. And, and PWL and Pete Waterman, Stock Aiken and Waterman had always been growing up like the super pop thing. I was like absolute huge fans of the, the music they did. Nice. And so the band carried on for a couple of years after that. And once it broke up, I was like, what do I do now? I thought, if, in an ideal world, I would work at PWL for Pete Waterman. How do you do that? You know, I was ringing up the studios and they say, you know, we've got like a year's waiting list of applicants just to... A year? Even come in. I mean, they said we just throw CVs in the bin when they come in now because we've got so many people waiting. And then I thought, I wonder if that guy is still involved. And so I walked, I had a little Saturday job stacking shelves in the freezer department <laughs> and I was so depressed being cold and stacking these shelves I, I literally remember I, w- I walked out of the job halfway through my shift and said I'm never going back there and the next day I got uh, some train money off my mum and I went up to the PWL studios and I basically just knocked on the door walked in and just said is, is Phil here and he came down and it was obvious that he didn't remember me in the slightest. <laughs> but obviously I must have said something to him that he triggered something, but he, I knew he didn't remember me. But uh, I basically said to him, look, I just threw myself at his feet and mercy. Just I'll do anything here. Whatever you want me to do, I'll clean the toilets, whatever. Just I just need to be around this place. Um, and so he basically just said, well, look, we can't pay you, but I really need help mailing records to DJs that's the real test of anyone who wants to get into the music industry when you say do you know we can't pay you but then it's all about your desire and your passion if you really want it then you gotta you gotta try yeah so again my mum and dad said this is fantastic we we, it's a great opportunity we'll support you you know god bless them I love your parents yeah and so I started working there practically sort of full time 
and I would just stand by the mail-out machine. They called it a franking machine. Okay. And, I, and I would put um, 12-inch vinyl records into these big cardboard envelopes and then put them through the machine where they would get labelled stamp, you know, for, for mail yeah. and then into big sacks and then the post would come and take them and they would go out to DJs and then the DJs would send in their reaction sheets and stuff. So I would do... And that was at PWL? At PWL in the reception. It was just a big mailing thing. At that point, aren't you thinking... This is so far from what I thought I'd be doing. Yeah, but you know what? I'm in the building. I'm going to stay here. I just wanted to be in the building, and there was I could hear music being made. There I love that. There was famous people coming in and out, and I'm just stood at the machine doing this mailing. I was doing 1,500 big vinyls a day, and the the paper cuts on my hand were 1,500. Yeah, the pain I was in, just the the the, the re- repetitive strain on my muscles from doing yeah. this, and the, the paper cuts. I would wash my hands, and it just like wince because of the pain from this. But you didn't care. I didn't care. I didn't care. <laughs> it's like the Karate Kid. And then, I will do this for the <laughs> end goal. It was like my sort of, yeah, wax on, wax off. Um, and then I would make tea for whoever came in and blah, 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 blah. And then just my friendly, amiable nature, I get to know people in the building and say hello. And eventually I get moved from the mailing machine to the phone lines. And then I have to phone the DJs up and say, I've sent you the records. What do you think? Can you put it into your DJ chart? So that was my then. So this is, you're at the studio, PWL are making records, yep. sending them out to the DJs. Yep. And then you're chasing them up. Yes. So I'm phoning them up, basically saying, please play our records. Please rate them in your chart, etc." And my desk was right next to Pete Waterman's office. So he was in and out all day. <laughs> Hi, Pete. How you doing? Hi, kid. How you doing? He's not useful yet. We don't even need to know his yeah. name. But kid, until you're someone, yeah. And Pete absolutely loves to tell a story. It's like his favourite thing in the world is to sort of hold court and tell a story. So I would just play on this. I would constantly say, Pete, da, 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 ask him a question where I know that he's got a story. And he would tell me stories. And so I just got to know Pete Waterman, which was great. And then people around the office. Did he get to know your name? Yes, he got yeah, to know my name, yeah, but, he, but he calls everyone kid. So right. uh, it's easier. Then you don't easier. you don't offend anyone. Then don't if it's kid, 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 then it's fine. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, an opportunity came up. A couple of people left in the studio, lower end positions, um, and rather than go to the big pile of CVs, I basically jumped at the studio manager and said, "I want to work in the studio." So hold on. So they asked you to go and look at, like, can you bring some CVs through or whatever so that we can have a look? And then you said, "Uh." Uh, actually, it was, they <laughs> what about me? They didn't get as far. I just heard someone was leaving. And so I just, before they even got to the point of advertising or asking someone, I just went straight in and said, I've heard such a such person is leaving. I want to work in the studio. What did that person do? used to do? They were just like T-boy or something. Just, oh, so it wasn't even you heard someone who could play keys was leaving. You just no, thought no. their position was inside that room that I need yeah. to get into. So I need to take their position. That was it. But they basically said, yes, we love you. You're great. You're the right person. You know, we've, we've, we've been around. So... From the, the literally the next morning, I got taken off the sort of mailing stuff, and I was in the studio, and I was being taught how to set up patch bays and set up the desk. I mean, I'd never seen the, the proper SSL desk and all the proper gear before. So you're like, I'd only worked, in, yeah, I'd only worked in small studios, and now I was in this major studio, and so I was just assistant. And say, no one knew at this point I could do anything. I was just literally, I was just happy to be in the room and just shut up and watch. So up to this point, no one knew that you could play keys. No. Okay. Or I knew anything. I had any aspirations to do any sort of writing or anything. Um, so if we can fast forward a little bit, I basically did that for you know, let's just say a few months at least. Um, just watching, starting to learn how records are made, and it's like opens your eyes to 
how it all works. Yeah. Um, I think that's important, you know, when sometimes, especially when you're around people who have knowledge and what it is that you want to do or are higher up in the chain on the ladder, it's important sometimes just to, to shut up, mm. just to look and see how and why what they do is as good as what they do is. Because, yeah. you know, I, I, I don't think success is a mistake. No. Success is the result of when someone puts an effort into whatever area it is that they want to. And mm. luck comes along, but they are so well rehearsed in what it is that they do yeah. that they execute, and, and that's why success comes. So yeah, I think that's that's really good to just keep quiet and watch sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it opened, opened my eyes to seeing how certain things were done. They did things in ways that you could never have imagined. Yeah. Techniques, studio techniques, which I don't recall necessarily now, but I remember at the time thinking, "Wow, that's how they do that." I think okay. I think it was the first time I'd seen um, people using double tracking. For example, I remember for vocals. Was, for vocals, I remember there was a uh, two instances. There was a Kylie Minogue multi-track that was on the desk, um, and it had two tracks for vocals. And I remember the, the one vocal was up on playing, and it just sounded like a little girl singing. Okay. And then the second fader gets pushed up, the double track, and then it just melds together. And all of a sudden, it oh adds God, a bit that, of body, the, doesn't it? And, it? and it was the sound I knew from the records. That's how they did it. <laughs> and then the other occasion. We had um, a multi-track coming from America, which was calling the gang. Oh, well, yeah. And uh, that got put up on the board. And the lead vocal was four tracks. Literally, so it was like, instead of double tracks, it was, it was quadruple tracks. Four. Four tracks. For and the lead. So not the, the, not the lead and BVs. And no, not just the lead alone was the four tracks. And again, I mean, I'm a huge, huge fan of calling the gang. Yeah. And the one fader goes up and it's like a quite a thin, reedy voice. You would think, I was like this. It's not the cool in the gang not, that not, you yeah, know, that you've heard. It's not who yeah. I know. And then you push all the faders up and then the, the, the four voices become this one voice and there is the character. There's this there's this voice that I know. So you're telling me that all four voices, is not, so it's four takes. Four, four unisons, yeah. Four, four, four lead vocals. Okay. Combined. Yeah, it's four. Wow. Whether they're all mixed at the same level, but obviously they're on Yeah, no, yeah, different but, kind of levels and probably yeah. effects. Maybe one's got a bit more reverb, one's a bit more driver. Yeah. One's, that's, that's... one's running a delay or something. But it was incredible. There was a, there was the sound of calling the gang, yeah. the lead vocal, and uh, but it wasn't there on the one vocal. So things like that opened my eyes. Anyway, so I I carried on. Don't give away too many tricks. Don't, Don't give, give away too, too many. They're, they're all no. What's going on? <laughs> um, and so it was also the job of the lowliest studio person to remain... Until the night shift started, so if the if the you know the, the, the day's work was finished at seven p.m., then the night shift doesn't start until ten thirty p.m. So you've got three and a half hours in the studio on your own, on my own, or just to sit around, have a cup of tea, watch TV, or play whatever, do whatever. Okay. So, nice. but uh, everyone, all the senior people go home, um, and so I have to sit there waiting for the night shift to turn up because it's a twenty-four hour studio, and so I remember distinct. I was sitting in the uh, studio. And I got some keyboards up and I was just sitting there playing some keys. I was playing some bits, you know, just messing around really on my own. No one else in the building, I didn't think. Um, but Pete Waterman had an apartment which was on the top of the studio. He lived there um, and he always just popped in and out to his office. So he had, unbeknownst to me, he'd come into the uh, studio building and he'd to go somewhere to his office or something. And then he must have heard me playing. So he came in and stood behind me and I didn't realise he was there and then he sort of I sort of spun around and he stood there and he and he just said to me I didn't know you could do that 
I went, oh, I'm just, you know, mucking around. I thought I was going to get in trouble or something because I was, I'm only meant to sit and, you know, get tea. I'm not meant to touch things. And there's me playing this little synth. And so I, he, he walked away. And the, okay. next, the next morning, I get called into the studio manager's office. It was like, Craig, went, the recep- I came in, the receptionist says, Craig, can you go to the studio manager's office, please? I'm thinking, I'm going to get sacked because I've been playing in the <laughs> oh. studio and I shouldn't have been. Um, so that was, I was thinking, that's it, I've done it. Oh God, I've, I've blown it. Yeah. So I go into the studio manager's office and uh, he says to me, I'll oh, have a seat. He says, um, Pete's promoted you to keyboard player for the, for all the, across the studios. You're, no. You're basically the, the session keyboard player now. <laughs> I was like, he's, he's basically said, you don't, don't make tea anymore. You don't do this anymore. You don't do that anymore. You just, you just float between all the studios. You have arrived. You've arrived and you just play keys for everybody. <laughs> Um, because they had to hire in session keyboard players. Okay. okay, so they were spending a fortune. These people were coming in and they're getting a full session fee every day. All right, so they're like, listen, we've got our in-house guy who can go and do all this. Yeah. He's already on a wage. Yeah. D- did they bump up a little bit maybe? I mean, it, I, I was on, I was, I was earning £120 a week. A week? A week, £120 Ooh. a week. And I think I might have got up to 130 I think. £10 more, £10 go more. between, and save us loads of money. Yeah, <laughs> although I did now get to sign the Musicians Union forms. So okay. I did get a little bit of money coming in from That's that, a good so. look. And Beat Waterman, I mean, when, when he has a hit, he has a hit. Yeah. Do you know what, actually, uh, for the people listening, reel off some of his work, the, the ones that people know. The big hits, I mean, there's obviously it's the, the, the Rick Rowling phenomenon, so uh, never going to give you up. Huge. Huge, um, you know, number one around the world. It's got its own life, hasn't it? Yeah. You've got a story on that one, yeah? Yeah, only one that Pete would always telling us when he yeah. used to come and sit and tell his stories. He, would, he told us that uh, when they did that record, they sent out white labels with no artist image to the States. No image. No, uh, no picture of the artist. Oh, so they didn't know whether it was uh, yeah, a did, black person or a white yeah. person or and anything. So they sent they, the uh, the song "Never Gonna Give You Up" went to the top of the R and B or soul charts um, <laughs> with no image. With no image, and then and then when they revealed it was this white guy, it just dropped off the next day <laughs> like like a stone. It just disappeared. It was top, but but it had got where it needed to be, and all of a sudden, it, then it was number became number one. Nice. And yes, but. Uh, Things like that. They would, that uh, song's got a life of its own. Every few years, it just comes up, you know, the video and everything. Oh my God, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, so who else is there? So, yep. Uh, Kylie Minogue, obviously the huge Australian Yeah, uh, huge. All that. I think the other number one in the US was Venus, Bananarama. All the Bananarama stuff was, was there. Was Pete, yeah? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Stock Aiken and Waterman. That's it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, they did Donna Summer. Um, oh, man. The Donna Summer stuff was fantastic. Brilliant. And they also, they, they just... Just had like so so much stuff. I mean, every week in the eighties, yeah, um, it was yeah. the top five. They locked they up have, the top five. Did they do stuff with Sunita? Yes, all the Sunita stuff. Yeah. Jason Donovan, of course. Jason um, Donovan, yeah. As far as pop, you know, they they. I mean, it was them, enormous. Yeah. It was them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they cleaned up basically in the eighties. And and you were the float between the studio, towards, newly promoted towards, towards the end of that era. Yeah, I was I was floating around the studios. And so, how old how old are you by then? I was in my early must be early 20s yeah okay um and so i got to play on sort of various um records not necessarily the main ones but yeah. um you know the, the remixes and um other bits and pieces that would come in nice and then the 90s sort of kicked in and dance music started and so there were lots of djs coming in 
with um, absolutely no talent whatsoever. Um, <laughs> but they they realised that they wanted to put a record out because I'm a DJ and dance music happening. And so they would come in and they'd get put in a little, we called it the programming suites, which was just a key, couple of keyboards and a, a computer and me. Um, and they would play me various records and go, right, we want the, the kick drum from this. I want the piano from this. But Hold on. So you were basically making the record then? I because was making records. They're saying we want that, that, that and that. Yeah, and then you're going and make recreating those sounds. Yeah, I'm recreating those sounds. So I'm 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 having to listen to the what they're playing me, work out what the chords are, what it's doing, the the rhythm of it, and various things, the sort of flavour of it. And then I'm having to make something new from it. And then they sort of take it away at the end of the day, and then they put it out with their name on it. <laughs> <laughs> so what? So in that in that scenario, then they the, back then they would just pay you. I wouldn't. I would. I was just on my weekly wage. Oh, you on the same PWO wage? Yeah, I'm on the week, I'm on the weekly way. I, w- I was just working just for, just a session musician for the for the studio. So whoever came in just got okay. to use me. So I wasn't getting paid any money. I was playing on all these records, but I wasn't oh. getting I wasn't getting paid for. So it started off well, and then yeah. it um, uh, kind of went down a path. Yeah. Did um so, but when the record comes out, then it would be the DJ and PWO. No, the, the DJ would just hire the studio in downtime. The PWO studio. So then they'd come in. Yeah. Ask you to do this stuff. Yeah. And, and then leave. Yeah. So they'd pay like a day rate for the studio. And then but they, you're not the studio. Yeah, well, I'm, the, I'm an employee of the studio, so I, I was just having to plan all these records. So, But people were coming Did in. Did you have to? Could you say no? No, no, I had, I had to do it because that was what I was there for, just to play uh, people to the studio. So. Yeah, but there's paying keys, you know, to, to do some additional production. However, making beats and da-da-da, that's, that's more than just playing keys. That's producing. Yeah, it is. But at the time, it was a, a whole new world, this kind of dance music. Oh, yeah, that, in, so. I think that's back in the day when they tried to bring in the word programming. Yes. It's like, like uh, no, 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 no. Yeah. Programming, but really, once it gets to a certain point, it's a blurred line. It's like, am I programming or am I producing? I don't know. Yeah. So I didn't get paid to play on it and I didn't get any writing royalties or anything like that. So I no credit? Nothing. I will, I'll sometimes get a keyboard credit if, if it was uh, professionally released, you know, like on a label, a proper label. I'd sometimes would get a, um, a keyboard credit, but uh, yeah, it was, mm. few, it was few and far between. Were there any uh, like biggies that came out? Um, probably around the time, but I don't remember them now. There was a lot of, um, I mean, you know, literally, I would say nine and a half times out of 10, it was just utter rubbish that okay. we were working on because these guys weren't professional. They were just people with ideas. Um, but I guess uh, the good thing is that one thing that type of thing always does is it adds to your to your repertoire. It it because I asked you this, but I remember actually, I think that's why you told me this or part of this story back in the day. I've worked with many, many, many producers from the top to the bottom. I think what's unique with you is, yes, you can have your own sound, but at the same time, if I say, oh, do you know what? You know that that other record, maybe if it was just lent a little bit more that way or a little bit, and within like five minutes, it's already yeah. over there. And I, I, that always used to amaze me. And I remember then asking you, you, you told me about this part of your history where you were in the studio and, that was basically what you had to do every day. So yeah, it was it was everyday thing. I mean, I, it was not necessarily satisfying. What I mean, I, I couldn't complain because I was doing what I wanted to do for a yeah. living. But, but it would um, be nice if they if they actually paid you or or just yeah. credited you for yeah. everything, so that then people would know that okay, yeah. this young kid in the studio there yeah. is doing everything. Yeah. But what it did do is it brought my skill level at doing that right up because I was literally. It was hardcore every single day doing stuff like that. So one day someone would bring in 
like a house record, and next day it would be like a jungle because jungle was out at the time and drum and oh, bass yeah, and okay. stuff. So people were big in jungle, and like, you know, it wasn't anything that I'd really was flat familiar with, but I could you listen have to, to figure it and it go, out. right, I know where I know where I can find that sound or I can find this, and you just have to just have to become just very good. That's brilliant. And you know, the thing with production, especially, I'd say it was even harder back then because nowadays, you know, you've got loop packages or, yeah. or you know, drum packages where people, here's all the sounds from Timberland or whatever. Yeah. Whereas back then, Timberland was making his sounds. He was yeah. stacking up, you think it was just one kick drum or one sound. And it's not, it's it's a mixture of yeah. four sounds, five sounds, EQ differently and, and compressed differently that make that that kick. Nowadays, you can just download it. But back when you were doing it, mm. um, you had to know. You had to, to figure it out, yeah. yeah. I mean, nowadays, it's like cheating. It really is. It's like yeah. ridiculous, <laughs> especially with the, you know, the technology. But back then, it was, uh, yeah, it was, re- it was really difficult. And sometimes it took a long time. If I was doing that nowadays... Um, yeah. It would be even quick, but I, I wanted to be fast back then because I wanted to get rid of them. I wanted them out of the door, and obviously they'd only paid for twelve hours. And the studio manager was like, "You know, they can't afford to pay overtime." You know, there's some dodgy DJ. Do you think the producer will ever be replaced by technology? I mean, I suppose there are AI things that have are able to put stuff together. And oh yeah, have you seen what's that one called? Duke? Is it Duke? Duke, or something, Duke something. Anyway, yeah. there's one called Duke something. Yeah. Someone hey. played me. A few of the, I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not quite there, but no. still impressive. It's making yeah. up the stuff. It's not playing an old song. It's making up songs. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, actually, some of the stuff that comes out nowadays, you could argue that it's just, it's so, it's so bad. It could be, it could be made by the computer, you know. And a lot of this stuff, it, it's, you know, it's um, drag and drop and construction kits, as you say, loop kits. And so the the bar for entry nowadays so low. is just so low. Anybody can make a, something professional sounding, yeah. um, which is why I call myself a songwriter, because what yeah. you can't do is write a song. You might be able to drag a load of blocks on top of each other and have a great track. You can play your mates and say, I'm now a DJ or I'm a producer. Yeah. But try and write a melody on top of it. it that's hard, yeah. That's where you start sweating. Yeah, so that's, that's where the talent is for me. Nice. That's, 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 that's an interesting take. Yeah. It's a good one. But yeah, sorry. So uh, you're in the studio making beats for, for, for everyone and everyone. not getting credited, all right? <laughs> and yes. Then... And then um, that goes on for a number of years and I'm actually really enjoying myself. Um, okay. Because as, as well as those crappy sessions, you do actually have good sessions and plus... You know, you've got a lot of, you, your friends are at the studio. You all, all the guys were my age and we all start making our own records in studio downtime, you know. Did you release stuff? Oh, we released loads of stuff, yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, constantly. I mean, I don't recall any of it, honestly, but we were constantly... You're going through the motions. It's just good. going through the motions. We're just making our own records and just getting experience. And most of the other guys were just engineers. They were like sound engineers. So um, I was the only person based in the building that really played, it had any knowledge, musical theory and... Stuff like that. You but. see that, you know, regardless of what happens, the basics of knowing an instrument mm. or knowing a skill like songwriting or knowing melodies, those three things there are still core to, to everything. Yeah. Like you will find a use if you can if you can play well or sing well or or write well. Yeah. I mean, there are, there were a number of occasions where we had um, actual established acts come into the studio that I was doing keys on and we'd come to the record the vocal and I would still be in the room whatever but they hadn't actually really written a song yet and they I remember this one dance act that had a, a couple of sort of, sort of well-known records they, they were in and they just got the vocalist in and they basically just wanted her to stand at the mic and ad-lib while they played the track no one was writing a song it was just her sort of trying to come up with something and she Why? because that's how they thought it was done 
the first I think the first hit they'd had they'd sampled an old song, and oh. so they'd had a, like a one of they sort of like a one hit wonder. They'd had a big dance song where they'd sampled something. And so now they're looking for a follow-up. I get it. So, so they're, they're, just, make, they're yeah. making someone just sing some stuff yeah. and they're there trying to use the same technique yeah. that's going to take one line exactly and then go that. again. Oh. They're just hoping. They've got a session vocalist in. They're just hoping she's going to come up with something and they can just grab hold they of it. They can take that line, pay her, and um, then run with it. Run with it. And it wasn't happening. I'm thinking, I'm going to be here all day. And so I basically just came up with a, a top line. I just said, why don't you try singing this? And I just sang the melody to her and she sang it. And they were like, oh my God, that's fantastic. And then we stacked up some harmonies and they were out the door. I never heard from him again and they released it and I never got writing credit. I never oh, even that. But it was just that happened that happened a couple of times, you know, just because they don't realise that it's not just turning up. But they're paying for the studio as well. What a waste of money. I know. Because they they just think they've hit the big time now. We've had yeah. a we've had a sort of half a dance hit. Were they signed? Yeah, to like a to a label, label like to a major label. Yeah. Well, like a major dance label. I mean, oh, do you know what? Maybe it was early on, and they thought, all right, let's put them in the studio, see what comes out, and mm. then if it's rubbish after three, four attempts, then we'll probably have to part ways. Yeah, maybe. Poss- quite possibly. I never know what goes through an A and R man's mind, to be honest. All right, so uh, a few years doing the 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 production for people and not getting credits, and then you went on to. And then I went to, so um, at that time coming in, Pete Waterman was, a lot of people left and Pete Waterman brought in sort of new blood, other people to come in. <laughs> I like that, new blood. New blood. <laughs> so various producers were coming in and out, not necessarily permanently, but just in and out just to contribute and stuff. And you were still there floating. In and the I was still there floating about. And so obviously I meet these people and we, we you know, become friends over you know, the months and maybe a year or so that we're there. And around that time, well, they, they then leave to do their own thing and they start, their own production companies, which later on, I, when I leave, eventually leave PWR, I just basically just call them up and go, what are you doing? And they say, well, come and work with us. How did you leave then? What, you just said, oh, just in, um, or why? Was it uh, dis- a disgruntled leaving or was it just... No, what it was, I think um, PWR, the company, was bought okay. by Warners. I think they, they bought, they bought uh, the label out or bought the studios out or something. And so it was a case of everybody is now... Not necessarily unemployed, but they're gonna. Sort of, you've got to be self-employed, and um, so it was jump before you pushed. They said that there's not necessarily going to be as much work because Warner's have got whatever their plan is, so it's not going to work like it used to. And so we just started looking at options. It, you know, you could I could have stayed there for for longer, but, um, but you thought, you know what? I, I just thought yeah, time to move on. I, I, I knew some of you know, the people that I'd worked with have got other things going on, so I thought I'd try that. Cool. So, so I went to them. We were starting a sort of new production company, and then I think the first sort of gigs, the the big gig that came in was doing backing tracks for TV, which became Fame Academy. Whoa! Okay, so Fame Academy. Yeah, and so our paths cross. So our paths cross because okay. after it was doing the tracks of Fame Academy, that um, obviously that you then came down to the studio. Yeah, and that's when we first met. Um, I think we started off trying to do a ballad, and then. It turned into yeah yeah into the up tempo. Yeah. Do you remember that Fitz was was falling? He Fitz came from uh, I think it's Atlanta. He lives in Atlanta because he took me out there once. So Fitz came from Atlanta to the UK, mm. and his flight was either late or he was up the night before or something. But all I remember him is he slept a lot in that session. Yeah, like he'll do his stuff and then yeah he'll be sleeping. I mean, he's so talented. His ideas and his input exceptional. The the dude is exceptionally talented. But I just remember him him being extremely tired yeah. in that session yeah. and having to do and a I, lot. And I remember because I knew a Fitz before we met him because he produced one of my favorite albums, which was uh, Get, okay. Get Up On It by yeah. Keith Sweat. Keith Sweat. So I used to drive to PWL from my home and 
Keith Sweat was who I would play. The Get Up On It album yeah. was what I would play. And obviously I knew Fitz had produced that and written half of it. Yeah. And so to meet him, I was like, I'm just going to ask him about Keith. I've got not only my meeting Lamar today, but I need to, I just want to press him on all these Keith Sweat stories. <laughs> he he took me to Atlanta. Yeah. And he took me to, to Keith Sweat's house. Oh man. And I met with Keith Sweat. And Fitz used to do an amazing impression because his voice and Keith's voice, you know, it's him singing on the record as well. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, so Keith is doing the lead line, but Fitz is doing everything else. Fitz's impression of um, Keith talking yeah. is brilliant. I can't even do it properly, but he'd be like, yo, Keith, man, how you doing, man? This is Lamar from the UK. And and then Keith talks back to him. He's like, yo, yo, Fitz, man. It's like the same two people. <laughs> and it was so funny because Fitz used to really poke him, really just to get him a bit annoyed. It was really, oh, really good, Atlanta. Man. I mean, because the Keith thing, his whole um, nasal... I like, it's like it that. going away. And it went away. Away. <laughs> so I used to play that in the car and just sing along with Keith because he's got quite a low vocal range. Yeah. He's like, yeah. He's like low. So you could sing it because you get some of these you know, insanely talented soul singers. Yeah, just yeah. Got that, and you just can't sing along. Yeah, yeah. But Keith had a lower range and I, I could sing along to him. So I was like, <laughs> fantastic. So, yeah. I, so he was, so obviously that day Fitz is telling me, Keith stories and how he did the album and he just had like one sampler keyboard and a tape machine or something and he made the album I'm like oh my god this is incredible doesn't it make you think though like I don't know we've got all these plugins in computers you know every guitar rack ever made and every sound and every bass and every but it can be too much yeah you know sometimes you just need yeah I mean sometimes you can find yourself just with you know, you, you want to start something and you can spend hours just going through kick drum sounds. You've got yeah. like banks of samples. You're thinking, what am I doing? And they all just sound the same after a while. And you're thinking, yeah. I'm trying to get a specific type of kick. And then you just you just think, right, just use something. Just yeah. get started. Uh, so, all right. So then obviously there was uh, the aftermath of Dance With You and, and moving forward. Most recently, I, I see that you've moved into uh, uh, the LaFlex world. So you still do music for, for, for various Mm-hmm. Uh, artists, various companies, you're always producing music. Um, but I like this this new entity that you have as well, the Flex. I don't know. How would you describe it? Yeah, it's it's it comes from a number of areas. First and foremost, it comes from the 80s because that's where I th- think the best music was made for me personally. I just think nice. the, I just think the decade you sort of grew up in is always your favourite. Is always. It was, you, the 80s was much more romantic, much yeah. more uh, uh, musical. Yeah, had great arrangements in songs. Yeah, Synthesi- beautiful synth- voices. Synthesizers really, synthesizers really became a thing, and big reverbs. I love the big, re- lush yeah. reverbs and the, that's kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just the whole um, aesthetic of it, the fashion and everything. So it's based on the eighties. Yeah, so it's based on the eighties, but um, it's made with modern techniques because in the eighties it was, um, you know, it was people learning to do things for the first time because electronics and say the MIDI and things had just come along. And so um, there was a lot of exploration and people trying to do things and it didn't always work. But um, I'm taking those sort of sounds and those vibes, but making it with a modern, with the, you know, with the, with the modern technology. Yeah. So it's, it sounds like a, uh, a sort of modern version of that. So it's that. Um, and then my whole, my, my love is, has always been um, from my mum's is, is soul music. So the the chords and um, melodies that I use are always try to be soulful. I have... Um, as much as I can put into it because uh, that's just where my heart is. I try to do simpler type things, just like two or three chords maximum and then just with like a, a sort of soft vocal type thing happening, which is that's just... That's a nice rule of thumb, two yeah. or three chords. Okay. Yeah, just just simplicity, um, just a, a, a bass line, like a pad and some simple drums and then a vocal. 
because I just think that works for the what they call the poolside or yacht yacht pop or yacht, yacht pop. pop. I haven't yacht heard pop. that one before. Yeah. Yacht pop. You're on your yacht with your cocktail and you, these these cool tunes are playing. So it's, it's music that's just there and it's cool and you can sort of nod your head to it, but it's not. You don't necessarily want to get up and dance, and it's not. I think it's very fun though as well. I like the videos that you do. You do a lot of uh, really cool raw organic kind of videos yes. I really like the Le Flex videos yes yeah. that's because they're all shot on an iPhone <laughs> do you know what what did they say it's not about where you buy the clothes it's about how it fits exactly yeah. so you know I don't think the tool is ever the problem it's the creativity and I think there's a lot of creativity in the videos yeah it has to be I mean I just, I just think for people that like what I do or like certain things or an artist they like to have a visual thing as well so I thought okay I'd love to do some video stuff but I'm under no illusions that you can do a you know, big uh, super budget video so I just thought what can I do with an iPhone and just make it look fun um, yeah. and get get a green screen and other bits and pieces and just just have a laugh basically what started Leflect like why was it just you wanted an outlet or um, well I was doing uh, music for X Factor okay uh, the live shows you know get the track on the Monday get it worked out for the show on the Friday um, and then one day I suddenly realised that I was depressed Okay. I was like really depressed. Yeah. Um, I was not enjoying music. I was thinking, so you are so lucky. You are getting to wake up every day and play music for a living. I should but be, if it doesn't scratch your itch. Yeah. I was thinking, but there's, I'd lost any love I had for what I was doing. It was no art involved. There was no passion involved. It was totally colored by numbers. Lowest common denominator Saturday night. It was like literally, I almost remember saying, um, I could actually prefer stacking shelves in a supermarket to what Ooh. I'm doing. I always think um, like there are so many layers to music. There's so many layers to to people because you're doing what in theory you love mm. doesn't necessarily mean that you're doing the right thing in the thing that you love. Yeah. You know, there's so many layers to music. And if you don't find yourself in the right place mm. or on the right job, it can be a very draining thing because I think creating something is you giving your energy. So you putting your energy into something. Yeah. So someone might say, oh, you've done a thousand tracks, just do another one. Mm. But even though it's just playing music or just singing another song, it does take something from you. Yeah. So like you say, if you're doing it without passion, yeah, like yeah. I, can, I can see where you get yeah. uh, to the point that you said. Yeah, it was a bad feeling to realise that I didn't love what I was doing anymore. And so I just walked away. I just stopped. You couldn't have made the decision overnight. No, it was it was gradually just became dawned on me that I couldn't carry on the way I was doing it because um, it was really affecting me. I was just being, you know, I became a horrible person because I was just up, you know, just upset with Ooh. everything. So I essentially just decided to walk away from a, a paying job um, and just try and live on savings until I decided what I wanted to do. How long did that last? Um, about six months. I didn't really play anything or write anything for that time. I just, just stepped away. Sometimes that's needed, man. Yeah. I needed I needed it to come back to me. I needed the desire to do it. I didn't want to force myself into doing anything. I needed me to want to do it. I needed to you know, I needed to find that passion and what made me want to do it made me want to leave school and that again. So um That's good. I admire you for doing that. Yeah. I've you know, I, I come across those periods in, in what I do and I think yeah, I think every I think every musician goes through that that period that phase in their life where they feel do you know what do I want to do this and it's not about the money and it's not about it's just how you feel yeah. you know so yeah so you, six months passed six and months then, passed so I basically just thought what did you do in that six months I didn't do a lot to be honest um, just sort of hang around moped around 
<laughs> read some books, watched some films. That's all good. Um, recuperation. Recuperation a bit. And, and then what I did start to do was I started listening. I found, uh, I think, a box of old dictaphone tapes. And I realized that um, in between my work over the years, um, I'd been recording all these little ideas of my own that um, I'd just come up with, but I thought there's no outlet for it. So, for example, let's just say at some point in the past, in, the, in my career, I'd been asked to write a song for a boy band or something. I would write a boy band song. And once I'd finished with that idea, I might come up with another idea, which I just came up with because it was, I just thought it was In cool. the moment, yeah. In the moment. I just thought, well, but it was something that I, pl- I come up with and I think, well, that's not suitable for the boy band. I can't think of an artist that would need this. So I just put it to the side and forget about it because no one, there was no outlet for it. On enough. a dictaphone. You might have to explain what a dictaphone is. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> Little tape machine. Um, and so I found all these dictaphone tapes and I went through it. And I thought, oh, I remember that idea. I remember that idea. And it turned out I had all these little ideas. And I thought, they're actually, they're me. That's what they are. They're not, they're not me coming up with songs for people. They're songs, they're, they're songs that I wanted. Nice. You know, and so I just basically collected all these little ideas together. Um, and with no intention of doing anything with it, just for myself, my own pleasure, my own art, my own passion, I just started recording these little ideas down. Um, and that became uh, The Flex, basically. The Flex. So uh, I started, I just started putting them up on the internet, like SoundCloud. How did you decide on the name Le Flex? Um, well, at the, t- at the time... Whenever part- I say Le Flex, I want to say it with an accent. Le Flex. Le Flex. I don't want to say Le Flex. Le Flex. It was... Uh, well, I've, and Flex has been a nickname of mine from a, some, for someone else for many years. It's, it's oh, a, is it? It's just a, it's uh, a, it's where, like an in-joke. Where me. did the nickname Flex come from? I'll tell you what, it was something to do with the show Bo Selector. Really? Yeah, and it was the, the Craig David thing on Bo Selector. How, um, Craig David, Bo Selector, yeah. you Flex. How does this work? Well, it was Craig David on Bo Selector. Yeah. Used to have different phrases. Um... And one of the um, phrases, I'm sure at one point, he, he says something to do with a, a flex thing. And for some round the houses reason, which I can't remember, I got started calling flex. It was just a, a joke. And at, and at the time I started the project, I was also listening to the, the, the uh, a lot of what they call French touch, which is like a sort of daft, daft punk and stuff like that. Um, oh, daft but, punk, okay. But, and the, an underground French electronic artists and stuff like that. Nice, just, it's just, French it's touch. Just, it's just a cool sort of genre. Um, and so I thought, oh, it'd be good if it was a little bit French, because I was going to do a couple of little French things as well, which I did, which are on the early stuff. And so I thought, well, to make it sound French. When you say French things, French, what, French? I've, I've done some of the early Reflect stuff. has got a lot of French, um, sort of electronic French stuff in it. Okay, the French touch stuff. The French, as you call it, the French touch, yeah. Okay. And so I just thought, if I stick le <laughs> at the front of Flex. Suddenly I'm across the waters. Yeah. Um, it's got a little bit of a French touch to the vibe to yeah. the name. Le Flex. Um, and plus the word... Flex doesn't really mean anything in any language, particularly, especially not in French anyway. So, um, and, it's, and then, you, then, then you do the, the thing that you have to do where you Google it to see if anyone <laughs> else is using it or if it means anything else, if the, if the website is available and all these sort of things. And it, there was no, literally no results for brilliant. the Flex. I was like, right, brilliant. So anyone that ever types in the Flex is going to get you. me. That's but a good like, look. Yeah. You know, because there's like, there's like a band called The Internet. Yeah. And what? I'm thinking, there's actually a band. Called, no. There's a band called The Internet. I can't even send them. But anyway, I'm thinking... How difficult must it be to go on and Google 
the internet. That's not. A, that's not, not a great. Uh, that's not a great name. It's not a great name to, for people to yeah. find you. you know? That's like saying your band's name's Google. Yeah. Uh, kind of lost that one. Yeah. So uh, it was. A, it was a good uh, search engine term as well. So um, mm. I decided. To, I decided to use that. And at the time, there was no intent of being serious about it. It was just me doing something because I loved it. I think the fact that you 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 took that six months off to mm. get you to that place where it wasn't about releasing or trying to be on a record that's going to do well. It was more, do you know what? I just want to do this because I enjoy it and I like it. Yeah. That is the key, I think, yeah. to to any good song, to any good anything, to any good uh, creative endeavor. Yeah. Just not doing it for any other reason, but the fact that you like it yeah. is, is, I mean, is key. After I left the Metrophonic thing, um, one of the things I did was start going to see the A&R men and stuff that I knew to see if they had anything going on. Um, that you could work on. I could work on. I mean, because I, I, I did McFly at the time. Oh, McFly, which, yeah. Which was number That's one big, in the yeah. UK. Big, so very big. Was, but, um, you know, working on on that was sort of fantastic because it was a whole new thing. It was like these, you know, the 50s and 60s yeah. Beach Boys. And they can play, and they, can they can play, play music. They can, do, you know, the, the ideas must have been a lot. Yeah. So it was, that, was, that was kind of thing was really great. Um, as I say, yeah, it was number one and stuff. So it was, it was, album and things so it was really good um to have a bit more success but then you start having to deal with pitching songs to a and and there's so many people trying to pitch songs to a and and it's not necessarily about the song it's sometimes about the relationship with the a and or getting the artist in the room you might have a better song but because the artist was in the room with another writer they there we go and it just became so much not about the music yeah i just thought it's pointless you know, you just, I just, I just didn't want to, I spent more of my time doing that kind of thing as opposed to making the actual music. Yeah. And a lot of people could say, oh, you should have got a manager and stuff like that. But it was, I was just at a point now where I thought I've just had enough of this, um, which is why, you know, one of the reasons that I'd stopped, it was just, it was just becoming too much. So I thought I'll yeah. get out and just do my own thing. I just thought I don't like this game of football, so I'll get my <laughs> own ball and I'll go and play on my own somewhere and I'll I be like happy. That. You know, build your own castle. Build my own castle, and so just wanted to do something that was mine. I had no one to say no. You can't do that. No one to say, you know. Oftentimes, I'd send I send a track in, and uh, they you know they come back with the A and R comments. Oh, it needs to be this, needs to be that. I'm thinking it doesn't. This is what it, this is right. And so you, you know, I just think I want to do what I want to do, and no one can tell me, yeah, change this, change that. Yeah, um, I think as you go on, especially when you are creative and you can play your role very well, mm. sometimes you do just want to just get it out in the way that you want it to be. Yeah. It's the the ownership, the control of it, the fact that you can just express yourself without limit that I think is is very important. So you said about um, people then asked you to release stuff, right? Yeah. I've got my own label as well. So I know that that process, there's, there's such a learning curve involved with that process to getting mm-hmm. it to a point where it's of a certain standard and it's effective. Um, how did you find that transition from just doing the music to doing the music and then now, you know, like you said, being the front man and now people are saying release stuff, you either then have to look for a partner or you then have to learn online or how whatever means you have of different ways, you know, to get that music out to the people. How did you find that transition and what did you, what did you do? Um, when initially I think I was um, drawn to using an actual label. So when the first sort of uh, more popular reflex things were just online and people were finding them. Um, there's a, 
um, very, very cool label in France called Maison Kitsune. Um, oh, sweet. And you intentionally kind of went in that direction as well. Yeah. So. And so they actually put up um, one of their artists' uh, vocals online and said, we're going to do like a remix competition. And I thought, well, I love this label. They're doing loads of stuff. I'll, I'll just do this for a laugh because I still wasn't taking the flick seriously. It was just a little side thing. Okay. So I said, I'll but, do it. But at the same time, you knew you were going to smash it. You're like, you guys, was... you know my life history. You know what I've done. You know what I've played on with no credit. Watch. So, uh, yeah. So I, I basically downloaded the stems for this song that they had out and I remixed it and I sent it in and um, won the competition. Nice. Um, you, say, you say that with such modesty. Such modesty. <laughs> and it's still like one of their biggest stream tracks to this day. And they made me sign a contract. At the, after I won it, they like contract saying, you've got no claim whatsoever ah, to this these track. these people. They and knew, it, they knew. And it's like absolutely smashing it on Spotify and YouTube at the moment. For yeah. years, for like years, five years now, it's been really- Five hammered. years. Um, so anyway, so they invited me over to France. I went over to Paris and I met with them. Um, they put a, a track of mine out. Um, not the not the not the the remix that you did a different no, one. No, no, they put the, they put the remix out because that was part of the competition thing. So they they did that, um, and then um, I played them a couple of other songs that I'd done. So they um, sort of licensed one to use on their, for the, for their label. Nice, um, which opened up because it was on there. They opened up a sort of avenue, a, a network of other things, um, and then I thought oh, I'm going to start to sort of make a an album, you know. I would have been happy to sign with them as an artist, even though I was not really wanting to be a and But they're very much, they only sign French things. Okay. A, you know, that's the thing in France, actually. I think I've forgotten what percentage. I think it's 80% yeah. of the songs on radio have to be by native um, yeah. um, artists. So, which is good for supporting, you know, yeah. artists that are from that country. However, if you're an artist trying to break in, I remember I went over there with If There's Any Justice, I went over there and I mean, it was such a big thing to get it on radio over there. And But once you are on, you run around. You run <laughs> over, they, they embrace you, you do run around. So that, yeah. was, uh, that was a good thing. I think that's, it's a good thing. Yeah. And at the same time, like you say, in a, in a uh, case like yours, where you would have liked to, it can be a bit harder. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, internet radio in France is really massive for me at the moment. I get lots of messages from um Internet radio. French, in French internet radio, play my music a lot. Um, they yeah. contact they contact me and say, we're playing this. Can you do, um, I do like shout outs. I record little shout outs at my studio here and just send email them off to various radio see stations. See that, putting that L-E in front of you, see what you did? Yeah. Luh. And then yeah. suddenly. <laughs> and so then I started looking, I started getting contacted by other small labels saying, will you do stuff? And I still had the mindset that I probably needed a label. And so I did a couple, I did a couple of things like license individual tracks to labels and I wasn't impressed and I didn't enjoy the, um, the process. The process of it at all. Did they still try and get you to change things? And da, da, da? yeah, well, there, there was some of the deals weren't great, and you're having to fight with these people because they're small labels and they don't always know what they're doing. So they, they think you know they think you were born yesterday. <laughs> oh, he's never released anything in his life. We'll try and yeah, they, him off. The first draft of any record deal yeah. is always disgusting. So, well, usually disgusting. So I thought, um, you know what, I need to do it all myself again. Um, so it was just uh, a process of spending hours researching and so I eventually started using online distribution um, through DistroKid and you can just do it all yourself from then and collect yeah. all the money yourself and How was your experience with DistroKid? Good? It's been fantastic um, it's, it's just very easy you just upload it put the title in put the artwork in and then they get it into stores it's on you know, Apple Music and Spotify and Deezer and Tidal it's on all the streaming services basically yeah. Google Play so above um, all things, you're, you're content where you are now. 
Yes, yes. And they've got the control over it all. But again, the, the big problem is, even though your records are out there, your music is out there, no one knows about it because you need to spend money on promotion, which is you know, the, the big thing. The biggest hurdle, right? Yeah, I can make the music basically for free and put it out essentially for free. But um, Put the video up for free. Put the video up for free, make the video for free. Put it, um, but to get people to know about it, You've got to get yourself onto playlist. You've got to get a magazine or blog people to do about it, and that sort of thing costs money. Yeah. Um, or, you know, and it's just you decide at some point: is it worth spending? Is there going to be any return for that money? You know, yeah, so, that's uh, that's the big gamble all the time. Yeah. That is the big gamble. Yeah. So I mean, so far everything, the way that it's grown has just been totally organic. It's just been word of mouth, people telling people, people telling other people. There's been no money spent on anything like that. So you know, one thing with all that though, I I think. One really good thing about the way that you're doing it, as much as the the initial return might not be as fruitful, mm. you know, it might take a longer a longer time to ripen, so to speak. Mm-hmm. The people who do who are attracted to your stuff are the are real. The ones who are into you at the moment um, will, will will probably most likely be the most dedicated uh, ones. So where 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 are most of your fans now? Well, South America, Russia. And all surrounding countries to Russia, so it's like um, Georgia and um, Azerbaijan, all these places. Yeah. Just so, so is yacht pop, uh, yacht pop, or was it pool, pool, poolside, poolside, and yacht pop? So that's a big thing in in Russia, then I guess, and South America. I, sp- I suppose it must be, unless it's just a, a bit a, a touch of the eighties. Yeah. Unless you're breaking it out, unless there. I just happen to be uh, at the forefront, attractive to that kind of demographic. I mean, and I mean, Europe in general is is okay. Japan a little bit. So it's it's worldwide, but the uh, the big the sort of the hotspots tend to be Russia and surrounding countries and um, South America. That's a good yeah. look. Yeah, so it's pretty cool. cool. We were talking about content earlier, and we were saying that you well you were saying that when you're doing it the way you do it, frequent content is the most important thing. Yes, you'd say. Yeah, I always refer to it as feeding the machine because it's just if you're not on people's radars, they tend to forget about you because there's so much music coming out now. It's kind of like uh, PWL and the CVs. Yeah. There's so many. After a while, you know, someone, a lot of people say to me, oh, don't you think it's great? YouTube and uh, Spotify and all these places, it's great. I'm like, yes, it is. It's really cool that you can go direct and have the potential to reach a lot of people. But potential is what it is because the reality is, is it's like the A&R man's desk. You could have an amazing song in a pile of a thousand not so great ones mm. and it gets lost yeah it gets lost because there's so many tapes on the table so much other music out there so to see good stuff throughout all the noise sometimes is hard yeah. you know i know um, youtube and spotify and and various platforms they've got their own algorithms that kind of allow you see what they think you want to see that's not the same as going into a record store and looking through vinyl and finding what you want. It's, yeah. a, it's a different its a different experience. So yeah, so you've got to put out content quite frequently. Quite frequently. So um, I try to put out sort of at least sort of three things a year normally. One of them's normally- When you say three things, three songs, three albums, three, three al- projects. Th- three albums. It tends to be one main album. That is a lot of work, you know. Yeah, one main album and okay. then maybe two mini albums and they're sort of spread out. Beginning. So like one main project and two side things. Yeah, they're all under the, they're all under the flex, but um, they're just uh, that's just the size of them. So there tends to be a main album of like twelve, you know, twelve songs, like you would expect an album. Then there'll be two of maybe four or five, including the, one of them is generally like a uh, four or five covers, including on one, just because just for the love of it. Yeah. yeah. 
So what do you call your label? Well, I haven't got the label. So it just comes out district. Just comes out district. Well, well, it did nice. come out district, and then I was contacted by um, a very nice man at the BBC. Well, actually, what happened was quite interesting. I was a or am a huge fan of Jackie Graham, the uh, female singer from the eighties, and it was my mum used to go and buy all the records down at you know, Woolworths or wherever the local record store was when I was a boy, and bring them home. And I would listen to them, and she brought home a, um, a record by Jackie Graham called Round and Around. And um, it was listening to that song that sort of was one of the things that made me want to do what I do. It was just the magic of it. And so about two years ago, I follow her on uh, Twitter, and she'd announced that she was doing working on an album. And so um, I just thought that would be the greatest thing to do something for Jackie Graham, you know. Yeah. And so I reached out to a manager and said, look, um, this is what I do. I said, Lamar, dance with you. You must know that one. <laughs> I was sitting at, a, I was at a function, I've forgotten, I think it was last year. And she, I, I got sat with her. I think it was, yeah, I was, got sat with her and we were talking, well, with her daughter, sorry. Natalie. And, yeah, with Natalie, right. And we, we were talking, she, Natalie's really cool. And her mum, actually, actually, no, no, um, she was there. Yeah. Yeah, Jackie was there. Yeah, so I was I was sat with um I was sat with Jackie and her daughter Natalie. They're really really cool. Yeah, yeah. That, and I mentioned you actually because you had told me this story already. Yeah. I mentioned you. They're like, oh yeah, Craig, we love Craig. So, yeah, and so I messaged yeah. I messaged Natalie and said, this is what I've done. I would love to do something for Jackie. And then she came straight back to me and said, let's have a meeting. And we got together and I said, look, I'll write a couple of things. So I wrote two songs for Jackie. Um, she recorded both of them and they were both the singles. So one was um yeah, what's the name? There was When a Woman Loves, which is the main single she did a video for, and About Your Love, I think it's called. The second song became, uh, it was number one on the Soul, UK Soul Chart as well. Brilliant. So, which was fantastic. Brilliant. And, so, uh, what, and all from you, just, again, being proactive. Yeah, just saw her tweet saying- Dude's proactive, <laughs> you know. Brilliant. So that was, that was fantastic. That was a, it's like a little dream because Jackie came down here and she just sang and I was just- where some stories you know, I obviously was telling her about how it inspired me when I was yeah. young and she was telling me about the days recording and what she used to do so I, was, I got answers to lots of questions I had uh, where can people find out about Laflex uh, Laflexmusic.com Laflexmusic.com Instagram Twitter it's all the same Laflex Music Laflex Music so yeah. anything you want to know about Laflex you can go to the official website Laflexmusic.com all your Twitter handles Instagram handles they're all Laflex Music so yeah. people can find you quite easily yeah brilliant yeah Craig, thanks for the year so far. Thanks for dancing with you. That's my first uh, single <laughs> and my highest charting one, actually. Number two, that yes. blue Cantrell kept me. Up. I know, uh, and it had been number one for about five uh, weeks. We're thinking, I know, it I can't... thought this is it. it Boom, can't... landing. It was number two. Uh, but yeah, no, no. Thanks for the years. Thanks for the for the artistry. No doubt, we keep on working together. That's what we do. And uh, good luck with Flex. It's been fun. Thanks, man. All right, I loved it. Peace. Peace. As usual, thank you so much for listening today. I really enjoyed that one. If you like today's show, please do subscribe. And if you can, take a moment to rate this podcast on iTunes. It really does make a huge, huge difference. I appreciate you and your time. If you've got any questions or suggestions for the show or for me myself, please do feel free to email me. It's Lamar at thelamarshow.com. That's Lamar, L-E-M-A-R at thelamarshow.com. If you're an artist or a musician and you need some advice please do feel free. All right, until next week, my good friends, 